today, Christians around the world come together to focus on one thing. We've come together tonight to focus on a day in human history that changed everything for all eternity. A day in which God himself, in Jesus, subjected himself to a brutal death. It's almost impossible to imagine, isn't it? That God himself, the sole creator of the universe, would allow himself to be killed. It's incredible. It's impossible. And it reminds me of this hymn I sang growing up, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Just listen to some of these lyrics that, that the hymnist uses. It says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Tis mystery all the immortal, the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? There's almost a disbelief and a wonder and a mystery in the reality of the cross. How can it be that Jesus could come and die for us? But did you know that within the cross there lays perhaps an even greater ministry? Mystery. It's the fact that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life over to Jesus, that you were actually there 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. Now, I know you're like, that's absurd, okay? I wasn't there, I know. But let me just see if I can jog your memory a little bit. Let me just see if I can remind you of what happened that day and see if I can help you remember. Do you remember the morning of Good Friday? From 6 to 9 a.m., very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin, they made their plans. And so they bound Jesus and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate. Do you remember when Jesus was condemned and the crowd demanded crucifixion? Pilate said, what shall I do then with the one who you call the king of the Jews? And the crowd chants, crucify him. Why? Pilate asked. What crime has he committed? And the crowd shouts back even louder, crucify him. Do you remember when they flogged Jesus? Mark 15, 15 says, so he had Jesus flogged and he handed him over to be crucified. You know, that's all it says in Mark. He, he, had, he had him flogged and then it moves on. And, and you don't realize the gravity of that until you start to study what it meant to be flogged by Roman guards. Because do you remember how the Romans used a whip made of several strips of lev leather, lev uh, leather called a cat of nine tails? into which were embedded pieces of bone in metal. Do you remember how this tore Jesus' flesh over and over again? Do you realize that when the Romans beat somebody this way, they often didn't survive? Do you remember how after the flogging, the soldiers clothed him with a purple robe, and they crowned him with thorns, and they mocked him, and they pretended to worship him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! The soldiers, they 
clubbed him and they punched him and they spit on him. And they got on their knees and they pretended to pay homage to him as king before forcing him to carry the cross. Do you remember how Jesus was too weak to bear that cross? And so they made Simon of Cyrene, and they took him and they forced him to carry up the, the cross up the hill. Do you remember from 9 a.m. to noon? After dividing up his clothes, they put Jesus on the cross with a sign over his head that said, The King of the Jews. Do you remember how the crowd and the rulers and even those dying alongside Jesus mocked him and insulted him? Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are the one who is going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Do you remember Jesus' response to that? Because right after that, Jesus cries out to his father and he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Can you recall what happened from noon to three? Darkness falls over everything for three whole hours. And right at 3 p.m., Jesus quotes the words from the prophetic psalm, Psalm 22, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember from 3 to 6 p.m., where Jesus cried out, It is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. And finally, do you remember Jesus breathing his last breath, the curtain of the temple being torn into two, a great earthquake, the spear piercing his body to make sure he was dead, his body being prepared for burial and placed in a tomb, and a large rock being rolled against the entrance of the tomb. Do you remember Good Friday? Because if you were a follower of Jesus, you were there. Now, you might be asking yourself, how could you ask me to remember? That was over 2,000 years ago. None of us were even close to being alive then. Well, the profound truth that we're going to talk about tonight as we consider the cross is that God's word makes it clear. If we are followers of Jesus, if we have given our lives over to him, we were there. In fact, we were crucified with Jesus. Romans 6.3 says this, Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? In other words, when you gave your life over to Jesus, and that was signified in the baptism ceremony, you were saying that you belonged to Jesus in death. You see, the Bible reveals that those who belong to Jesus have been united with Jesus in his death, in his resurrection, in such a real way that from God's view, you were there that Good Friday. Christ literally stood in your place paying the penalty for the very sins that you did as he was mocked, beaten, and crucified. You know, a lot of times it's traditional in a Good Friday service to encourage people to think of themselves as in the crowd, Right? We tell people, think of yourselves in the crowd and, and what it would be like to yell, crucify him. Right? And we tried to get that imagery going, but today we're focusing on something different. Tonight we are focusing as followers of Jesus, we weren't just in the crowd, but we were on the cross. Because it was Jesus who we are united with. 
who we belong to, who paid our exact penalty for our exact sins that day. So let's open up God's word together. If you have a Bible, you can look at Galatians 2.20. That's where we're going to spend our time tonight. If you don't have a Bible, it should be up on the screens, or there may be a Bible in a seat uh, near you, under, under a seat near you. It's a familiar passage to a lot of us. Galatians 2.20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This Good Friday, I want us all to walk away with four things. Four profound implications from this passage of what the cross of Jesus Christ accomplished for you. Because we've come together to focus on what Jesus has done for us. It's not just this great story that we tell about sacrifice and love. It's also that it was done specifically for you, for those who would believe. And so these implications, we should walk away understanding that the the death of Jesus on the cross, it meant something. Let's jump in. The first one is this. Implication number one, the cross means that I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ. Another way to put it would be, because I am united with Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, I, in some sense, died on the cross as well. When Jesus died on the cross, I died as well. And the question is, what does that mean? I mean, all of us in this room are hopefully still right now living and breathing. So how can it be that we are also crucified and dead? What is act, what's What's the exact nature of the death of Jesus for us? Well, in order to understand that, we must first understand how the Bible views those who are apart from Christ. We have to understand what it means to be apart from Jesus. What is our condition first before we know him? And Ephesians 2, 1 through, 2, 1 through 3 talks about this. It says this. If you are apart from Christ, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, in the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, in those who are disobedient. All of, us also lived, or all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so the condition apart from Jesus is death or eternal separation from God. Apart from Christ... We just go around trying to satisfy our impulsive desires for pleasure. We are enslaved and chained to seek only that which we believe will make us better even for a moment. We cannot choose anything else. The Bible pictures somebody apart from Christ as completely stuck. And the Bible refers to this state as the old self or as our flesh. And Ephesians 2.3 says this, this only earns us wrath. In fact, this is what separates us from God. And so getting back to being crucified with Jesus, when we are united with Jesus in his death, we die to that self that I just described. We die to that very thing that we are holding on to, our own way of life. And so Romans 6, 6 and 7 puts it this way, For we know that our old self, the old part of us before we came to Christ, was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
When we are crucified with Jesus, our bodies, which were once ruled by sin, are actually done away with. It's completely destroyed. The cross means that we're supposed to leave an old way of life behind us. And as you reflect on this Good Friday and you consider the cross, a great question to ask yourself is this. If I have been truly crucified with Christ, and the cross has released me from the power of sin, what is it that's still controlling me that doesn't need to? What did you bring with you tonight that Jesus has died for on the cross that you're still carrying around? What are the things of this world that I continue to chase that I don't have to? Whatever it is, whatever came to your mind the moment when I asked you was something that was nailed to the cross. Something that Jesus already paid for. Jesus paid for that very thing that you believe controls you. The sins that you struggle with as part of your sinful nature have already been rendered powerless if you've given your life to Jesus. You have been crucified. Your body, which was once ruled by sin, has been set free. And as we're going to see next, your call now is to live the new life that Jesus has secured for you. And so let's take a look at the next implication. Implication number two, the cross means that Jesus is alive in me. Listen to what it says in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. You know, one of the most wonderful things to watch as a kid is watching a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. How many people experience this? Maybe in like grade school, you find this cocoon and you put it in a mason jar and you just check in on it from time to time over a couple days and eventually a transformation happens and a butterfly emerges from the cocoon. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to watch. And what's really interesting about it is that a caterpillar and a butterfly are two very different things. You ever think about that? They operate in two very different ways. In our minds, they're almost two distinct things. Could you imagine a butterfly that continues to act like a caterpillar? It refuses to spread its beautiful wings and fly. It just slinks along these little branches looking for leaves, and it never does what it's called to do. It would be such a waste, wouldn't it? That'd be such a waste. And yet, often, you and I act just like a butterfly who hasn't realized that something completely different has happened to it. We act like a butterfly who thinks it's still a caterpillar. And one of the most profound passages in the New Testament about this subject is found in 2 Corinthians 5. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Talking about Jesus. And just two verses later it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The crucifixion of Jesus means that we are no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for him. So that anyone who gives their life to Jesus becomes a completely new creation. Like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. 
Now, you may be tempted to think that this transformation is about you becoming something special and beautiful to God, just like humans think about butterflies. And of course, it isn't wrong to think that way, but being a new creation isn't about physical appeal. It's about a spiritual life. It's Jesus living inside of you. And God is so serious about this that he actually gives you his very own spirit in order to accomplish this. So when I said earlier on that you have been crucified with Christ and your sins are nailed to the cross and whatever you're bringing into this room, you don't need to, uh, it's already been rendered useless. You might have been asking yourself, how do I get there? How do I live the life that God has called me to live if that is true? And we find it right here in Romans 8, 9 through 11. Listen to this. The spirit of God is in us. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature because you are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and Christ lives in you, within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. The bottom line is that the cross destroyed our old way of life. And now it is Christ living through you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the driving force behind everything that you are if you are a follower of Jesus. He gives you life. He grows you. He changes you. You are being made into his likeness through his spirit for his glory. There are far too many of us who have given up on that dream, on the dream to be the new creation that God has called us to be. There are far too many of us who have reverted back to acting like caterpillars when God has already secured the victory for us on the cross. When we come here on Good Friday, the cross should remind us at all times that we aren't meant for that. We aren't meant to be caterpillars. We are meant to fly. We are meant for victory and for glory. And it brings us to another implication of the cross. The cross means this life is all faith. Listen again to Galatians 2.20. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is all about how we get there. How do we get to the place where we live the abundant life, surrendered and pleasing to God? Well, it's all about faith. The life we live here and now has to be a life of active faith in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the greatest misconceptions about following Jesus is actually a misunderstanding about what faith is. You know, people confuse the idea of faith with intellectual acknowledgement all the time, especially in our modern age. But there's a big difference between believing something is factually true and putting your faith in it. And let me give you an example of that. You know, as a big guy, I'm always leery about sitting on chairs, okay? Especially like wood chairs. Like if I come to your house and you have like antique wood chairs, just warn me ahead of time, okay? But, you know, these people have these chairs, and I, I never know if my weight is going to be a little too much for these little scrawny chairs, right? And so there's been many times when I look at a chair, and I think, uh, I think this chair is going to support me, right? And there's an, an intellectual acknowledgement that the chair will actually hold up when I sit down. That acknowledgement 
is not faith in the chair. It's simply a belief that I have. Now, if I were to actually look at the chair and decide to sit in it and to put my full weight in it, and I actually did that, that is faith. That is putting my faith that the chair can hold me. And at that point, I'm actively putting my faith in the belief that the chair will hold me up. Now, admittedly, I have sometimes put my faith in the wrong chair, okay? And it did not work out, but you still understand the concept. Living a life of faith in Jesus is not an intellectual acknowledgement that he exists, that he died and rose again. Faith is putting your active trust in him throughout your whole life. It's not a one-time event, not a check-the-box moment. Faith is telling God that you believe in his life and his death and his resurrection, and because of that, you are trusting him with living for him for the rest of your life. The cross means your life is now guided and driven by trust and active faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That every moment of every day you seek to make Christ your all in all. That you actually trust him with your life. And that brings us to the last implication of the cross. The cross means Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. He loved me and gave himself for me. If you don't hear anything else tonight, hear this. As you consider the cross of Jesus Christ, as you think about Good Friday and its implications for you, hear this. But God showed his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The king of the universe. He looks down to humanity who's in open rebellion to him. And instead of rejecting and condemning and destroying us, which he's perfectly in his right to do so, he sends his very own son on a rescue mission. You know, Good Friday always has been such a somber and serious tone to it. The truth is, is that it was horrific, it was brutal, and it was violent. And yet somehow, in all of that, the Son of God stretched out his arms to all of humanity in an act of unbelievable love, and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And the promise for us is this, to all who receive him, to all who call on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down their life for his friends. Jesus has shown you the greatest love. And our job is to give up our lives, to follow him, for we have been crucified with Christ. Our job is to walk by the Spirit, because it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Our job is to live this life in all faith because the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Our job is to know and reflect this love because the cross says that Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me. I hope you know that truth tonight. Let's pray. Lord, pray that all of us in this room would take to heart your word, your word in Galatians 2.20, we'd be able to even pray this to you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. 
The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Jesus, we are so thankful that you loved us, that you stretched out your arms on the cross and you said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Lord, would you help us Would you help us all to see the implications of the cross? To recognize that the cross was brutal and savage and awful, but at the same time, it was an act of unbelievable love from the God of this universe who loves us so much that he gave himself for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.